I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. And welcome back to the OMG MotoGP podcast with former Grand Prix rider and British champion Keith Hewitt and myself, Harry Benjamin. Please do make sure, as always, you've liked, subscribed, and left a review either here or on YouTube or wherever you're listening to us. Uh, and if you have a question, query, or comment, you can send us a 30-second voice note or just a simple email to omgmotogp at gmail.com. There is... So much to squeeze into the next hour or so. Those incidents from the Catalan Grand Prix, Aprilia's fantastic weekend, the Moto2 and Moto3 action. Plus, there's some breaking news from the World Superbike Paddock as well as we hit the record button. Uh, And this week, very pleased to say, fresh from Barcelona, uh, broadcaster and producer Charlie Hiscott joins us. I mean, Charlie, you've picked a hell of a week to come on the show. No, it's all sort of like it's all happened since I saw since Keith asked me to do it. Yeah. So um, yeah, a lot to talk about. Luckily, <laughs> absolutely, it's going to be fantastic, isn't it? And Keith, you're um, you're live still in Barcelona. Well, I mean, I'm only half alive nowadays, as you both will agree, I'm sure. But um, uh, Charlie, Charlie will be the first to nail me with that. I, I, it, it, do you know what? It's a very strange thing because we start this off. I've got a bloody great big grin on my face because I'm joined by one of my old mates in the paddock who I have such good fun with, Charlie, and I'm, I'm so pleased to see him with us. You know, it's been difficult to get hold of him because his time is so precious nowadays with the kids and work, obviously. And yet it's probably the saddest start to a show that we could possibly have because both Charlie and I, and I'm assuming you as well at some stage because of the car connection as well, the loss of Paul Bird this week has been just, it's devastating. It really is for the whole of the British paddock, for the for the, for the the whole of the world paddock in, in effect because, I mean, that man has put so much money and effort behind so many riders that have gone on to great things. Um, and for him to, to depart in the manner that he has done at, what, 56 years old, it's, it's devastated a lot of us. I mean, not obviously our thoughts and, and, and best wishes go to Jordan, Frank Jr. and Lexi, of course, the, the three children. I mean, two of the two of them with a good friend of mine, Karen Atkins, who again, Ben Atkins, dad of Karen, was the Reve Red Bull Ducati uh, team owner, Reve Red Bull Kawasaki team owner. If I go back, John Reynolds days and the like. So we're talking about embedded people here, people that are very close to us, close to our hearts, and we've lost one of the the the, the biggest men in in the paddock. Quite literally, you know, funded things for so it's. It's going to be a massive knock-on effect. Paul Bird, you know, is a loss as a person, but as a loss as a team and as a loss as a as a, as a championship benefactor, it's going to be a major thing. Yeah, it really is. And uh, all of our uh, thoughts and uh, wishes are with uh, all those who, who obviously knew Paul and, and those friends and family with him. A big loss, as you say, not just to the two-wheeled world, but to, to motorsport world uh, overall, I think. So uh, uh, thoughts very much uh, with uh, those family and friends at this time. Um Charlie, we've got you with us, and obviously you're you're quite spread across all two wheels. I mean, we mainly talk about MotoGP on here, but uh, of course uh, we do 
tip a hat every now and then to World Superbikes. And there is literally breaking news as soon as we record uh, to do with one of the greatest, I think, uh, Jonathan Ray. Uh, and he's on the move officially now. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it's probably the worst kept secret in the paddock, but it's obviously been announced this morning, you know, officially that he's leaving Kawasaki. I think the announcement that he's going to Yamaha will come out fairly swiftly afterwards. But yeah, huge news. Um, not unexpected. Um, I think it's a good move. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And, uh, you know, it ties in really nicely with Top Rack going to BMW. The championship needs a good shake-up. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I've not been in the World Superbike Paddock this year, so I wonder if there are things happening behind the scenes with regards to rule changes. You know, we've got an issue with Alro Bautista being too too much faster than everybody else, um, which I think is a problem because it makes the racing not, not as exciting as it could be or should be. So whether there's stuff going on in the background for what's going to happen for next year, <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, but I would imagine Jonathan, has, has, you know, he hasn't gone there. He's not gone there for the money, put it that way. It's there now. It's just popped up. I spoke to Paul Denning just a few minutes ago before we came on air and he said one o'clock they're releasing it. Breaking news, Yamaha Motor Europe is pleased to announce that six-time FIM Superbike World Champion Jonathan Ray will race for the Pata Yamaha Promitor. No, I don't even know how you say it. World Superbike official team in 24 and 25, so a two-year deal. I think what it says to me, Charlie, and I bet you'll agree with this one, both of us knowing Jonathan really, really well, is that it shows that Jonathan Ray isn't over yet. He still has that 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 bite. He still wants he wants that challenge to raise his game. I mean, he's magnificent on the Kawasaki. He does stuff on the Kawasaki. I mean, his teammate isn't any slouch. That's a fact. And neither are any of the other Kawasaki runners. So I think that it's it's... We've got another two years of proper Jonathan Ray, I would think. Yeah, I, I think Jonathan is riding as well as he's ever ridden. Um, but he's now, you know, it, the situation that's grown within the championship is that he's now not on equipment that can let him win races effectively. So, um, but I think he's more hungry. I mean, there's, you know, there are a lot of people saying, oh, maybe he'll retire and stuff. You know, we know he's made a lot of money out of Kawasaki, but he is more motivated than ever. I did see him very briefly at Catalonia this weekend. Um, and he was quite tipped. <laughs> I obviously bowled straight up to him and asked him about it, and he was very tight-lipped about it. But um, he he, wa- he wants a new challenge. And I, the, the one thing we don't know is that what Jonathan sees out on the track. And obviously, if Jonathan didn't see something in the Yamaha that he thinks that might work for him, I don't think he would consider it. So I think that he, you know, and actually, the one thing we do know is that Kawasaki aren't bringing anything new. That, that's, that they're not, you know, that, that's a fact. And that's obviously a little bit disappointing. And there's also, there's a whiff of irony in it because while Jonathan was dominating everything and everyone was saying, you know, and there were talks about, you know, rev limits and stuff and Jonathan was getting pulled back. Jonathan and the KRT were the first people to turn and say, well, you know, it's not us to be pulled back. It's the other teams need to raise their game and it's gone full circle and now the boot is on the other foot. So it'll be fantastic to see. The only the only question mark is, is can Jonathan, the only rider that I would say is as good as Jonathan at the moment is Top Rack. The top rack is not, you know, he is having to work so hard to even stay in, you know, in, in Alvaro's slipstream at the moment. So maybe with, with some changes over the winter, I'm sure Yamaha, the one thing we know is that Yamaha are highly motivated. Whether they're going to bring some new stuff out, I don't know. Um, but it's a, it's a fascinating signing, I have to say. I, I think it's going to be really interesting. And I also think it, it, it couples in really nice with top rack going to BMW. And we know that BMW are, that project is going to change next year. They've been doing it for a long time. They've never had a great deal of success. Um, next year, it is going to change. They're getting a test team organized. They've got a lot of plans. And BMW still have the will to win. They want to win probably more than any other team on the grid. So it sets it up for me for a really exciting thing. And then you throw in Sam Lowe's on a Ducati, which will take a bit of time for him to get going. But you don't know what Sam's going to do come mid-season end of the season it could be I mean it's really really exciting it's good times I think I think that something trumps all of that for me is our well known it's a MotoGP link of course Andrea Iannone on a on a satellite team coming into World Superbike trumps a lot of them because you don't know what he's providing he can stay away from substances he'll be absolutely red hot I reckon I mean he's he's going to be one of those guys that I can't wait to see whether he's got it. I mean, not back in the day when he was Andrea De Vizioso's teammate at uh, Factory Ducati, when he was, he, for me, was a better bet for, for, for higher accolades than De Vizioso back in those days. It's only because he couldn't, he couldn't keep it together and he did stupid things. I mean, he, 
from a PR perspective, he's absolutely brilliant because he's got every single angle nailed when it comes to to um, you know publicity and the like. But unfortunately, it detracted somewhat from the fact that he picked up that massive great ban for um, for for substance abuse, which. Quite rightly, he got a ban for substance abuse, by the way. I'm not condoning any of that. I'm making a joke of it. I shouldn't be. Um, but the point being is is that if he hadn't had that, I feel he would have been possibly a greater rider than, than Davizioso was. He, he seemed to have more headroom for, for possibilities than Dovi. Dovi was a great, solid, really fast guy, championship uh, Grand Prix winner. But, but you know, Nate, always had something about him that just said he might be able to do a bit more. I wonder if he can get anywhere near that kind of performance. Because World Superbike would be just fantastic if you got him in it as well. I, I don't see it like that at all. For me, I don't see it like that at all because I think it's very easy to underestimate the level of World Superbikes. And I think he's had a long time out. For me, the real interest will be is, regardless of what he's doing out on the track, is he is going to ruffle some feathers in the paddock. And there's a really, you know, it's a really nice paddock. It's all well established. There's a set pecking order. Everybody gets on with everybody else. And Ian only is going to, I think, you know, the... The, the you know the sort of battles that happen on social media and stuff like that it's going to be I wish I was in the paddock it's going to be hilarious to watch what's going on on the sort of personal side of things but out on the track I think I'll be I'll be I'll be mega impressed right if he comes in and he's in the you know it's getting top fives by mid-season I'll be mega impressed because it's the one thing that seems to happen regularly that I've seen for years and years and years is that really good riders come in and they think they're going to come in and and you know and get on the, get close to the top step fairly quickly, and they don't because if you're going to be at the top, you've got to be you know if you, even if you look at the second tier of Alex Lowe's and people like that, you've got to be mega fast and you've got to be mega sharp. Every lap has to count, and I'm not sure whether he's. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. It. I'm not saying no, but I'll be I'll be more than impressed if he can you know dig. I mean, look at Petrucci. Petrucci's come in right fast and sharp into world Superbikes. he's on fairly competitive bike and he's doing okay but it's taking time you know the level is is so high yeah here. and that's the thing for me is that i see what you're saying that he's got a mercurial touch key but look you know it's been a lot has he been out for four how long has he been out for four years isn't too it? long two years too, too long too long to do what i'm thinking he might be able to do that is a fact. romantic i absolutely agree it's unusual for you to be sat on a fence i've got to say charlie over that but petrucci was never really the the rider I don't think that that Yanone was, and the the key word is was. I mean it, that's the excitement. I I would quite enjoy interviewing Yanone. Having Sam watched um, Oji and you and people having to interview him over the you know over the years, and he is a really tricky customer. Like a really he's horrible. He's horrible. He's horrible. He is. He's a, he's a really horrible guy. You know he would give, won't give you any eye contact. I mean it's like. Uh, I don't know who you unless I suppose you put your hand in your pocket. Anyway, we won't go there. But but I'm, I, the 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 day of champions. I I had Davizioso up on stage. What a nightmare man to deal with. I mean, like not not at all pleasant, and and definitely didn't want to be there. Clearly, whatever the the the, the fact of the matter was, he'd been forced to because it's a charity, it's a MotoGP charity, so he had to be there because Ducati wanted him to be there. But but that that is going to be the issue. Whether he can even make it work with the team. I, I suppose what we should be betting on, not whether he's going to be in the, the top half dozen when we, when we get to the track, is how long he lasts in the paddock. <laughs> Maybe that's the question. God. You know what? I think uh, it sounds like we need an OMG World Superbike podcast in time for next season, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be pretty mega. No. Only if we can be trackside and do it okay. live. Well, uh, big sponsors, if you're listening, it'll be a great hit. I promise you. Actually, maybe this is the time to just tease a little bit. We might have a, a multiple world superbike champion in a, in, a, in a podcast coming up fairly soon. I've got a, uh, an event that I'm doing with uh, Mr. Carl Fogarty that um, we're looking to uh, try and persuade Carl to, to join us at an event in a friend of, a friend of mine's uh, pub. Oh, hang on. Was that your? Um, was that one of your hips going there? Yeah. <laughs> can, you, can you hear the the, the door? The, the door. <laughs> yeah, we should say, Keith, you're sort of sheltering in your hotel somewhere, aren't you, in Barcelona right now? I'm I'm in the TV room. It's 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 where they all watch MotoGP the other day. Do you know what? It was quite funny. I went up to the track on Friday to Catalonia on Friday. It was a baking hot day. I got my wife and my youngest daughter with me, and um, 
it's amazing how old old people like me and Charlie's catching me. Do you, do you like the symmetry, by the way? We we didn't we didn't have a code before of how to dress to come to the OMG. We both wore grey shirts um, separately. Um, but it's amazing how old blokes have the. As soon as you get near a racetrack, you have this unbelievable stamina to walk miles, to climb stairs, to be in grandstands, to do round the track, all the rest of it. And in the end, I felt like I was dragging my wife and child <laughs> unwillingly in directions they didn't want to go. And I look around me just to see if there was anybody. And there's quite a few people like that that are around. You could tell the ones that want to be at the track and the ones that don't want to be. I've got to say, Keith, that's one of the things that's always impressed me with you is that you've never, like, I feel like I'm getting old and tired and cynical. Whereas, you, oh, I've always been cynical. You're, you're one of those people, but you still, every time we used to drive into the track, Regardless of what was going on around us and we were moody or tired or blah, 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 you were always excited. The moment we got there, you kept your energy and your excitement has never dwindled. And you know what? Well, that, well, if I might get to the television side, have dwindled. <laughs> no, you haven't. No, you haven't, you see. But you you might feel that way inside and probably I do as well if I, if I want to admit to it. But the point is, is that we are dyed in the wool motorcycle, man. I want to get to that with you in a minute about your own personal life as well. But this is the thing that absolutely, and I can say this, Charlie can't say this because he's still working in the industry. I'm not really working in the industry anymore. It's, I get annoyed by the non-passionate people that are running television, radio, media. It's their job. They went through university. They are producers because this is the, the track they took. And what they're actually doing pretty much is destroying the passion and the excitement of our sport on occasions, not always, sometimes they manage to hit the sweet spot, but they're all doing this same old script, the running order, as we call it, as it's well known, the running order comes and there it is. And you just cut and paste next week's event into it with nothing really much of a thought in it. Yeah, we're going to interview so-and-so. Yeah, we've lined up this interview and all the rest of it, but it's not going anywhere because there's no passion in their hearts. They don't, they don't feel it like we feel it. And it, and it, and it really annoys me. I mean, and you can't say anything about it because if you say anything about it when you're 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 in the industry, then you will be blackballed. There is no doubt about that. If you find yourself the wrong side of the fence, then then because of the way the industry is made up of freelancers rather than employed people and so on and so forth, those guys that dare to have the temerity to challenge some university graduate who's come up who thinks he knows the sport better than anybody else and he's been in it five minutes. Um, then you end up with a situation where you get pushed to one side and move to push. This goes for sound guys, cameramen, you know, under you know, lower project production people, even runners if they're a bit too enthusiastic and, and and start to tell people what they think, which I think is just not the right way to go. I think passion, sport is passion, hundred percent passion. You really on the edge, Charlie, when you said you know I have passion. I really do. I'll stand in the corner still and talk to some bloke I don't even know the name of for as long as he wants to talk about motorbikes. If he knows what he's talking about, if he don't, then I'll dismiss him just like we should. <laughs> I'm honoured to still be here talking with you then, Keith, in that case. Yeah. <laughs> After all these years. Occasionally we take on, you know, lost causes and stray puppies <laughs> and you come under that bloody headed. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Um, look, shall we? let's get into some of the MotoGP action, shall we, from the weekend as Keith sips on his lovely cocktail, Spanish cocktail. Um now, I think we have to start with uh, the incidents, don't we, really, uh, in, in the, uh, the, well, the first two corners. Um, Charlie, let's come to you first. So, I mean, what was your take on, on firstly, the, the incident that was basically, well, Skittles, and then, of course, uh, Banyaya? Well, I mean, the, the, the Skittles incident is one of those things that happens at that track. We know it's a tricky first, first you know, couple of turns. Um, the interesting thing for me was that, I was I worked with Sil Rangintoli, who is a very you know is a current rider, current test rider, knows the track really well. And looking at the Peco thing, he was saying that 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 you know the 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 right to left part of the circuit there, there's a slight change in camber. So he said it's one of those ones where you just on that first lap, it's you know they're talking it's such fine margins, and he he was sort of saying fairly you know unequivocally that he thought it was probably cold tire. And then I noticed that since, and actually it's one of the, you know, possibly the best thing about my job is working with people like Sylvan, right? Who are experts. They know what this uh, and they, you talk to them privately, personally, and you get them that, you know, no holds barred and they explain it to you exactly how they see it. But what was interesting this morning was that I see Pecos come out and said, you know, that, that, that he felt that the tire was off on the warm up lap. And so whether something's gone wrong, I don't know. But Sylvan was saying, you know, 
it's a really tricky corner. Start of the first lap, everyone has to push on so hard. Pekka had to push on so hard. Maybe just a small error of judgment. And he did say it's a tricky corner because there is a very slight change in camera between the right to the left. So it looks to me like, um, and when I'd say, certainly the, the the Skittles at the beginning was obviously Bastianini outbreaked himself, did everything that he possibly could. It wasn't like he launched through the whole pack. He he just got nerfed up down onto the inside. Anyone who's ever ridden a motorbike on a racetrack's done that for sure. Um, so not a great mistake. Uh, you know, these things happen. It is that type of circuit. And Pecco for me, I mean, not that I would know, but I, you know, from talking to Silvan and a few of the other guys and Hodgie and people, look like you know possibly a cold tire situation. I think what you've got is we talked about it in the the, the preview in uh, extra OMG extra that we did earlier on in the week. That first turn, nowadays with the, with the way that MotoGP is, you have got to get that as much done as you can in that opening lap when your tire pressure is at its lowest. Probably you've got as well as traction control. I mean, electronics are set up for when everything is back in the sweet spot, not when it's as it is with a low tire pressure. You're allowed to run a lower tire pressure for 50% of the race, I think it is nowadays. I think that now that they've got this new platform sorted out, the software is all sorted, so they can measure all of the, the, the grid, if you like, tire pressures accurately all on the same system now. So the Danny Aldridge and, and, and technical direction have, have, have got a basis that they can work on. And we've had our first penalty. Maverick Vinales actually ended up with a tyre that was below the pressure it should have been for 50% of the race. So Maverick Vinales has got a verbal warning, has got a, a written warning, sorry, um, going into the, that's That's the first base is a is a warning um, with this new system in place in this new year. So Vinales, finishing second in the race, also had a tyre infringement uh, through too low a pressure. My point is, is you've got you have to start with a lower pressure than the one that you're looking to run. So you've got to guess whereabouts you're almost going to be in the race, particularly with the front tire, because if your positioning is you are going to be mid pack in amongst a whole load of red hot motorcycles traveling at the pace you're going to be traveling at, your tire pressure is going to rise more than it will be if you're out front or on your own. So you've got to almost guess what the situation is going to be. But you've got traction control and the like, the electronics to be worked into that package as well. Significant, I think, Charlie's what you just brought up. Pecco said that uh, the warm-up lap felt really weird. Felt the, the the rear tire didn't feel like he was giving him any grip at all. And there's a, a Sienna Weddy's um, uh, Cormac uh, Ryan Cormac's uh, girlfriend took a fantastic shot. He's out on on in general release, I think, in Twitterland or Xland, if, if that's how you prefer it now. Um, where she shot through the first accident. Is everybody picking themselves up and waving their hands in the air, or the rest of it? And through that, you can look through from turn one to turn two where Pecco is just having his accident and he's flying over the handlebars and Binder is mired between two riders and Binder's wrong, you know, he's, he's blindsided. He can't see where Pecco's gone. And, of course, as everybody parts, the waves part, there is Pecco laying in the track and he runs over his legs, which for all of us and Charlie, I'm sure we're going to get to personal injury in a moment because you've had more than most motorbike races I've ever known. Um I was thinking Hutchie. As soon as I saw that, I was thinking Hutchie. Uh, Silverstone, turn one as it was at, at Silverstone. I know Hutchie's was slightly bigger perhaps, but as soon as you see another motorbike running over somebody's legs, you just fear the absolute worst. And to to, to, to get to the end of that very quickly, is Pecco is all right. He's not got any break. Literally amazing. He's, he's all right. I, I think the one thing that you need to add into that as well, Keith, is that um, I've got to say, Hodgie called it perfectly just before we, we started the race. Yeah, in the, when we were doing presentation before, he actually said, "You have to allow for the wind." There was a third, like a twentieth. I went in and spoke to um, Moody lot and said, "What's the wind speed down the pit lane?" Standing in there, like where we're out in the paddock, it was wasn't too bad. Going to the pit lane, and it was like sitting in a well in a, in a wind tunnel. Well, it really was. And and you know what, Charlie? It felt cooler. I mean, I could tell because you know I have to I have to go one way or the other with my hair. Otherwise, yeah, the wind gets uh, gets under it and. It's a terrible thing. Yeah. So, so, so it was twenty-five kilometers an hour down the pit, down the pit straight, gusting sort of twenty-five. But it actually felt stronger than that. I've got to say. Um, and actually, as Neil said, you know, these guys have been practicing. They've been doing all weekend, breaking at a certain point, and now they've got a twenty-five, possibly a thirty-kilometer wind coming up from behind them, which is going to change everything. And actually, Neil did say, he said, "I would expect to see some problems in that first turn," and and sure enough, we did. So I think that probably paid played quite a big part of it certainly into the bastianini crash 
Um, obviously, w w whether the, whether Pepe ran in a little bit too hot, I'm, you know, a tiny bit too hot, I don't know. But I think that was actually, Neil made a really good point. Like, it's actually the wind, I think, played a fair part into all the grid coming in just a little bit too hot. And Bastianini, obviously, was the, was the one that paid the price. And it comes back to the fact that everybody now in both sprint races and the long race have to get it all done early on before they start tyre management. And particularly at Catalonia, it's a tyre killer in those longer races. Well, you have to get it done in qualifying now, don't you? Which means you have to get it done in practice as well. I mean, it's not, not, it's not time practice now. But I mean, they've had to, that shows that this Saturday race has absolutely changed the whole schedule for everyone. It's completely changed that, you know, we've been doing the same thing. I've been doing MotoGP for 20 odd years now. Done the same ritual every weekend and now it is absolutely turned on its head with a race on Saturday so whether you're a rider getting up you know and obviously at the beginning of the season you were getting up you're going to have to start and pre practice one was your pre-qualifying qualifying we were all now we all have to you know prepare we have to adjust our show every single person is working harder much harder for this sprint race on a Saturday which I love I have to say I think the sprint race is fantastic um, but it has completely changed the dynamic now for you know, the riders, they, they don't get a minute. And actually, the, the sad thing about that is Moto2 and Moto3 have paid a price for it. For that extra time, do you know what I mean? The change in the schedule, the sprint race, they've, they're have they getting less time now. And whether it's, I think the sprint race is a really good idea, but, you know, speaking to a lot of the Moto2 and Moto3 riders, losing their warm-ups for, you know, uh, Dorna obviously trying to bring in the riders to the, bring them out to the thing, you know, out to the crowd and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think those guys have paid a fair bit of, a bit of a price for it but my, my long-winded point being is that it's really changed substantially the whole schedule this year let me ask you then because it's a question that we've kind of bounced around a little bit here do you think that Dorna are trying to get a bigger differential between the premier the elite of MotoGP and the support classes as in Moto2 and Moto3 no I don't think they're out no I don't think they're trying to do that at all no but I think what they are trying to do is they're trying to drive MotoGP forward and first of all you know, the sprint race on a Saturday brings more people on a Saturday. That actually makes perfect sense to me. Why would you have people arriving on a Sunday? Let's get them here on a Saturday, get an extra bit of money out of them. That makes perfect sense. And the sprint races are exciting. It's great. You know, that's good for the championship. I don't think they're doing that, but I think they're, I think the, for me, the issue is with the, the rider walk they do in the morning now, which actually, I, I get it. And I, I applaud Dorna for trying you know, it's tricky. You know, you, you, you turn up at a MotoGP race, you sit up on a bank for a weekend, and you're, you you can be quite separated from it. You can't get into the paddock. It's not like a World Superbike paddock or a British Superbike paddock where you can mosey into the paddock and you can walk up to one of the riders and go, hello, say what you like. is not like that. So I, I applaud Dorna for trying to get the riders out more into the crowd. I get it. You, you know, you've got to entice these people here and give them a reason to sit there on a Sunday morning. And actually, the, um, <clears throat> the podium this weekend was actually out on the back of the track in the crowd it was absolutely fantastic but the de the, the, the downside of that is obviously with the, with the way the times are working now is that the Moto2 and Moto3 teams have lost some time and actually they're the upcoming classes that's where we're breeding these new MotoGP riders from so they actually for me that's you know I'm not sure whether that's quite worked out the right way whether they've balanced that out quite right I'm not sure whether they get enough out of MotoGP to have the riders in the thing at the detriment of the lower classes. I think they'll change it, Charlie. I, I genuinely do. I think that this year has been a, a, a bit of a work in progress, really, because unlike... I mean, it, it even raised some criticism for the, from, from Mercedes uh, main man Toto Wolff, I remember, in Formula One, who said that, you know, that MotoGP have, have, have not got it right by launching sprint races at every round straight away. Um, that is what he felt from an organisational, from a management point of view. I believe the complete opposite. I think that, yeah, it has put massive stress on the paddock. There's no doubt about that. But I think they've managed it fairly well at the moment. But you're right. It still looks like it's going to be a situation where they're going to have to make some tweaks come come 24. And I think they will. Dawn are pretty smart on those kind of things. The key point of that sentence, Keith, is at the moment. Because it's it's been okay this season so far. It's actually worked quite well. People have got around it. There was a lot of trepidation at the beginning. Riders got injured, but actually it's leveled out now. But we're about to go into eight races in 10 weeks all over the world. And that's going to be quite telling to me is when you've got, and it's, it's not just, you know, it's actually not just the riders. It's actually more mechanics, so on and so forth. But PR people, all those people, TV people, whoever. 
And one of the things that I found out last weekend was someone was saying that, that Formula One, they have now, they won't let mechanics into the circuit. You know, they have to have left by a certain time. They won't let them just work through the night. You can't grind these people to death, which, is, which they would do if they could. So it's going to be, for me, it's interesting to see what happens over this next run of eight races um, after Mizano next week. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I'm like, the talk around our lot is sort of like, you know, we're all going to go off to India, but we ain't all coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I think that could be the case. Do you know what I mean? We'll, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, I mean, it's certainly uh, one of the more intense MotoGP seasons, both on track and off it in the last few years, isn't it? Um, but just to pick up on on Pecco and, and Misano, obviously, straight into it this weekend isn't it he he has said you know he's going to try everything to to try and be there so uh we'll we'll wait and see uh, how that unfolds and you can see the pictures of him in his hospital bed walking out as well thumbs up on the crutches so uh lucky only to get away with uh, some cuts and bruises i'm sure but uh we'll wait and see if peko makes his way back um i think a word has to go though uh to aprilia uh fantastic oh. weekend oh. and i've just seen a, a stat 2017 at this Catalan Grand Prix, Charlie. DNF and a 19th place finish. Fast forward to 2023, first and second. How brilliant. And and, and the relationship between Alation and Maverick as well, right at the end, the swapping of the bikes, it was just perfect, wasn't it? it it's it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, Aprilia was where, was where careers went to die not that long ago. Sam and Scott Redding, people, you know, they it was a horrendous place to go. And whether it's partly because... The way I, I think aero has a big part of it. Letting people play with aero means that you know factories like Aprilia who can change, who can who can move fast on things like that, as opposed to the Japanese factories, have used it to their maximum advantage, and it's and it's fantastic. And personally, um, oh, it's just amazing. I mean, Aleish is such a nice guy. I know he's not. I know he's, he comes across sometimes as being a bit what's the word weird. I, I don't know what you want to call it, but he's a bit. He can be a bit you know a bit odd in some situations but i've interviewed him a few times this year and oh my god what a nice guy just lovely you know i mean you see him we go into a big box and you know after every race and all the riders come in and they are literally passed from camera to camera to camera to camera to camera so some of them there were i think there were 17 broadcasters there this weekend yeah so it's really can't understand how hard it is for a rider to go in and go how was your race? How was your race? How was your race? How was your race? Right. And actually some of them, by the time, you know, it depends on the pecking order. Sky Italia, you know, are quite senior in the thing. We're quite senior. We get people quite early. But if you're a smaller broadcaster, you get them at the end. And I quite enjoy following them around and listening to what they're saying. Obviously, I don't understand the Spanish and the German ones and stuff like that. But, you know, they're so professional, these guys. But particularly Aleish, his, his ebullience when he comes in after a race like that, the first interview is still there at the end of the interview. They're so professional, just really warm, nice guy, and I, I, I and I absolutely love it. That's what I'm going to say about it. I think that uh, Aprilia. I mean, it wasn't long ago where every the beginning of every season you had this upgrade that they were getting. Everyone was getting. They were going to get an upgrade. Was going to get an upgrade. Was going to get an upgrade. And in the end, it never really came. And then the only upgrade they seemed to get was Rivola over Abessiano. Abessiano had been running it for for a while. Um, he seemed to be a slightly difficult prickly character to, to actually work with within the team. Rivola come across, uh, Massimo, I think it is Rivola, came across the, from Formula One. Um, and everybody went, huh, really? What the hell is he going to do? What does he know about motorbike racing? And what he knew about motorbike racing was that it needed some decent management. It needed that, 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 that transition from factory through travel to the back of the pits and back out onto the track. And he seems to have really brought that together very much like Gigi Delinia, I think in in Ducati yeah and, and KTM as well I mean it's that the, the area thing has been a sea change in MotoGP we've been fiddling with the same parts of motorbikes for for time immemorial and then all of a sudden this thing happens which which you know I think it took a while for some factories to cotton on to the fact there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. What, you know, what massive differences these things can do to a motorbike. And obviously the Italian factories um, and KTM have been able to respond much, much quicker to that. And, you know, um, look at where Honda and Yamaha are literally nowhere because, and I think that looks, you have to look at the factories for that and that, the, you know, Yamaha and Honda, for the all the knowledge and amazing stuff that they can do and, and do, they haven't moved quick enough. It's obvious. And actually, that that's the, you know, I'm not, my views on aero and devices and stuff like that are, are, are not part of this conversation, but the, the smaller factories have really taken this by the horns, particularly Ducati, obviously. And they've realized that this this wing stuff can do can make radical changes to motorbikes, and they have gripped it. And the good thing about that is the smaller factories like Aprilia, in, I mean, small, small in inverted commas, they've managed to, you know, in, in, in a few short years, get themselves from, you know, like I said, where people people's careers went to die, to front runner, we, you know, doing a double yesterday, the ultra competitive. It's amazing. It's a great turnaround, and it's a great story. And I'll tell you why I think it's fantastic from that GP. I go back a bit longer than all of you guys, and I've never seen a time when the Japanese factories were the last six on the um, practice sheet on Friday. I'd never seen anything like it. Two Yamahas and four Hondas. Um, pretty remarkable times, it's got to be said. Charlie, we, we, we're talking all the niceties and, and some of the technicalities here, but we're not really getting to the best of you, I've got to say, um, on this particular thing. And judging by the amount of PR that you've been, um, uh, you know, has been launched since I, I put on Twitter on X yesterday to say that you were joining us, um, uh, there, there are a lot of people as interested in you as they are about the, the motorbike bits and pieces going, who the hell annoys you around the paddock? Let's, let's get on some. <laughs> I thought you were about to say, who the hell are you? He annoys me. Oh, that's easy. Who the hell annoys you is the first thing because well, there is no doubt about it that you have a personality a personality that doesn't suffer fools very easily, apart from when you have to, as a professional, of course. Um, but the likes of Ian Wheeler, for instance, or Pete Thewan and people like that that are around you. That <laughs> me, I have to say, particularly Ian Wheeler. <laughs> no, that's, that's not fair. I mean, no, that's not fair. I've got to be honest with you. That's the great thing about this business is there there aren't people that annoy me really. There are things you know we all get annoyed at certain people, um, but generally, you know, um, in in world superbikes, all the riders are really personable, and you get to know them really well. You see them all the time. You drink with them. You know, it's it's a small family, and I've got to be honest with you. I can't think of one rider that's annoying. Uh, there, some of them are slightly more distant. Like Al- Alvaro is, has always been a hard one to, to get to know. He's a nice guy, right? But he's obviously Spanish, and I don't, I never built up a very good rapport with him. He was really nice when he was at Honda. Uh, as, as you know, the cynical side of me is all, all riders are nice when they're not doing very well, and then they, they, they <laughs> need it. That's a normal, natural thing of motorbike riding. Yeah, and it's a test breeds that. It's not, a, it's not a negative thing. Um, but then in MotoGP, it's completely different, right? It's a much bigger circus. You don't get to know the riders. You don't go out drinking with them. You occasionally see them at an Alpine Stars event or something like that. But they're also super professional. And actually, you know, occasionally, you know, people think that MotoGP is a cold, isolated paddock where nobody speaks to each other. It's not like that at all. It really isn't. You hang around the paddock on a, on a Thursday afternoon, all the riders around, they'll stop and talk to you. Sam, Jack Miller, all those guys. You know that it's not like that at all. It's actually a really nice place to work. It's different to World Superbikes, but it's still a really nice paddock. It's bigger. Um, it's it's very well organised. Um, but the guys are still around there. You can you can easily pull someone up. I mean, occasionally, I mean, there. I'm trying to put it into perspective. Pedro Acosta is a really good one, right? So the, the 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 next Valentino Rossi coming through, right? On on the crest of a wave, almost unbeatable. Now he's a guy. He would be. It's going to be impossible for me. Like I was commentating on Moto Two. I would love to build up a bit of a rapport with Pedro, but that ain't going to happen because he's Pedro Acosta. He's massive, and he's not going to have time for someone like me. Whereas in World Superbikes, you do get to build that rapport, whether they like it or not, because you see him all the time. You see him in much more quiet situations where you're not surrounded by huge amounts of fans, any of that sort of stuff. So they're just different paddocks. Do you know what I mean? 
Um, but no, there's no one really, no one annoys me. Do you know, it's it's quite, it's interesting. We don't hold this conversation like this because it's like having a public conversation, which is which is always slightly different from a private one. Charlie has a, a bit of an inferiority complex to, to a great extent because I've, I've always, I've always, um, I've always bigged up Charlie quite heavily because I've always rated his talent hugely about getting those little things from riders that most people can't get in that interview. You talked about a little bit earlier on, 17 broadcast companies going, well, how was your race and all the rest of it. But you've always managed to get that little bit extra that, and, and eye contact. You know, Straight away, they look interested when they speak to you. Uh, uh, Obviously, you have something that many interviewers and reporters and, and the like do not have in television. You know, do you research each and every single person? Do you work it out? Or does it come pretty much from, from that broken hip of yours? It, 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 it comes from the... It's not about research. And I'll tell you what, you, you can say nice things about me if you want, Keith, and I appreciate it. But I think you actually, you have to look at it from a different direction. And it's not that I have a, they have a great rapport with me or anything like that. I think you have to look at some of the other media that they have to deal with. And some of the other media they have to deal with are, are, are hopeless. I mean, I'm like, I said to you earlier, I like to go around and follow the riders around the, the broadcaster set in GP, yeah? And some of the questions they get are unbelievable. So, uh, I'll give you a good example. Last week, I was listening to... It wasn't last week, it was a couple of weeks ago. I was listening to Bezeki getting interviewed by a, 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 another media outlet. And... Whoever the person was turned around and basically said to him, so you had a good day yesterday, but today you make a stupid mistake. And and Marco stands there and he's like, he's figuring out whether she just said, or, you know, and he's not made a stupid mistake. It was when, I'll tell you when it was, it was when he got drafted into the back of Peko's bike. Do you remember? Yeah, now I can't remember where it was. And he hasn't made a stupid mistake at all. He's made a mistake and it's, and it's cost him the race and he's pretty not very happy about it. And then he walks into that. So what I do try and do is try and at least ask them a decent question. Do you know what I mean? And 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I, I watched that woman and then watched the, the, the lady and she said that. And he was really angry. You know, he was angry, but he gave a professional answer, as they all do, right? So I then try and use that to reinforce. And I asked him a decent question. And I actually walked out of my interview laughing and joking with a smile on his face. Yeah, because I don't know whether it's because... Well, I've done it for a long time at the end of the day, haven't I? And I'm fairly straight, straight. You know, I'm not asking them any questions. I don't feel like they're going to set them up or anything like that. I'm just asking them a straight question. And it's really easy, right? Because you just have to think about, like, I'm not, me, me being an expert or people I work with all being experts, that's not, that doesn't help the person sitting at home on watching the telly at home. The person at home wants to know the simple questions because they're the, it's the simple questions that they're asking that they would like the answers to. So, it's not. I also find that some people go in and they love to put their side of how how much they know. You know, I know you've done this. I was there when you said that, and you've done this. Blah blah. That's no good to the person sitting home on the sofa. They want to know the the basics. Do you know what I mean? So I try and think about that. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But that was kind of the way I was when I grew up with Keith in BSB, starting in a long, long, long time ago. Andy Weir and people like that. Um, you kind of get your, you cut your teeth, you know, and actually Keith was a really good mentor to me. He was a, a you know, good broadcaster. You were right in the thick of it there, Keith. Ian Wheeler as well was a really good PR person in the they and, you know, people help you and stuff. So you sort of cut your teeth when you're uh, in the early days. And when you get as old and as knackered as me and Keith are, it's fairly straightforward, isn't it, really? There's no secret to it. Well, when you, you tee someone... Handsome as well, <laughs> of course. But when, like, surely if you're going to tee a rider up with a question after they've had a tough race, you're not going like, to slam them with, oh, you, that was stupid, wasn't it? What do you have to say for yourself? Like, I can't, like no, surely well, have a bit of common sense. As well. The other difficult use as well is that you've only got two questions to uh, ask, really. I mean, it's a situation where you're restricted. So, you know, you've, you've really got to pick your moment. But... You do seem to hit the sweet spot every time. And I'm not blowing smoke up your kilt, Charlie, at the end of the day. If I thought you were bloody useless, I would say so. <laughs> but you're not. The thing that's always always amused me about Charlie is, is that that kind of many of us could see that you would progress to being a reporter, would regress to being a commentator. And all of these things, honestly, I have to say, Harry, 
he has been reluctant every inch of the way. It's like screaming and kicking into the commentary box, screaming and kicking into the into front of camera. Um, I mean, you were a racer once, Charlie. I mean, uh, I suppose the, the very cheeky question is: Is do you think that that the you would have been held back more by the amount of injuries that you ended up having, or the fact that you didn't believe in yourself quite enough to go as far as you probably should have done and could have done, because you were pretty handy on motorbike. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that my um, no. I mean, my my racing career ended with a stuck throttle at Cadwell Park. So, and up until that point, I was doing it was going really, really well. So that was you know there was nothing I could do about that. Um, what it did do, which might have actually been an advantage to me, was it made me pretty bitter about motorbike racing for about 10 years, which meant that I probably might have not have had the respect or I don't know, but it definitely, it was not bitter about motorbike racing at all, but I probably had a slightly different attitude for people in TV who go in and generally the accepted thing is that the person on the, in the TV will applaud and laud the, the motorcycle racer. And I didn't really have that because I wanted to be the motorcycle racer and I was pissed off that I wasn't anymore. Um, through no, through through no fault of my own, which made it even you know, which is just the way you know it's life. But I think that maybe gave me a slightly a different attitude, and it also taught me that actually, um, even though I wasn't very ambitious in TV or anything like that, it um, it meant that if someone you know if, if someone dropped a bone my way, then I'd be like Ryan, I've had worse. Well, what's the worst that can happen? So that's the sort of attitude I've had. But that's also probably why I'm not why I'm not running TNT at the moment, you know. <laughs> And I'm still standing on the floor, sitting in front of the guys. But I, but I really enjoy that side of it. And, you know, there, I've had my moments where I've had opportunities where I could have gone and done the sort of desk job side of it and become a, you know, something else that I'm not now. But it's never really appealed. I like motorbike racing um, and I like being around motorbike racing. So the TV side of it is, you know, the, the tool that I've used to stay in the, in the paddock. So... I'm I'm curious to know. Obviously, you're you're in the paddock, uh, you know, day in day out on a on a MotoGP weekend, and and we mentioned it earlier. You know, Keith can't remember a time where the Japanese riders and the teams were so Japanese teams were were so far down the order collectively. I mean, what Marquez highest Honda in the end, thirteenth uh, 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 over the weekend. Have you seen a visible? change sort of in in the vibe in the garages is it is it sort of a bit you walk in to to lcr or repsol and it's a bit it's a bit of oh, doom and gloom yeah <laughs> not half <laughs> yeah i mean like yeah not half yeah completely yeah it's it's completely changed you know even if you don't sit with the riders you see it with the people around them so i mean you know, without being impertinent about anyone in particular or anything in particular, but you, Keith will, Keith will know exactly what I'm talking about here. Teams and riders, when they're doing well, you know, the chins up, they might talk to you, they might not, they might look at you, they might say hello, they might not. When they're down, they're really nice, they're really friendly, they're much more approachable. The, the, you know, so you do notice it around Yamaha and Honda in MotoGP. You notice it in the PR people. You notice it in just the way the teams are, the way they hold themselves across the paddock. Instead, of, you know, the strut's gone a little bit with certain certain people. You, you, you do notice it, yeah. You, you you do notice it, and it's but it's it's a natural thing, and it happens to. So now the the Aprilia guys are all strutting, and the KTM guys are strutting. Do you know what I mean? A natural thing, but it, but yeah, it, it, there's an obvious difference. Yeah, one uh, one thing that got me personally excited uh, after the weekend, um, and I've always been a fan of him, um, Miguel Oliveira. Speaking of Aprilia, finally, I mean, he's had the pace all season long, it seems, but he just hasn't had the luck there. And, and we talk of Aprilia right at the start. Obviously, he's on the RNF, finishing up fifth. Brilliant to see Oliveira finally get a result he deserves on paper. It's there. He's got the points. Yeah, brilliant. A, a, a really interesting from the point of view that Cito Pons, who we talked about last week, who shut down his own team by the end of this year, is now the... Um, I, I've never heard of a title that... In, I, I spoke to Jane Stiggerfelt in the paddock at, uh, at the weekend. And Stiggy, Stiggy's always good for, for a bit of a smile. There's no doubt about it. He used to run the, the as it was, the Sepang International Circuit uh, team for Raslan Rosali, who took it all over when, when Petronas moved out. But Stiggy was saying he's never heard of it. A revenue director. It, it sounds like Cito Pons has, has got some sponsorship somewhere that he wants to move across to another team and take a take a take a percentage out of it. The irony in that is, uh, you know, it's thick because obviously Cito's just finally dropped his team after what was it, 
that he is or something like that. Huge success. Well, he's been he's been in the paddock for forty three years since since my days. Was he? So for him to, I mean, they're looking for another Stiggy there at the end of the day. I, I think it's not gone in. I think it's gone in with you know Raslan to go and help the team. But he's obviously a very very well connected guy. And but it's just ironic that he's left his own team. He's finally got to a point where he can't raise enough money for his own team. So let's let's go and raise some money for somebody else's. Go raise somehow one else's team. Yeah, I mean, it's a, who knows? And also, um, Cito's not getting any younger. It might be a you know change he wanted to do. Um, so interesting to see what happens there. And mm. um, well, Charlie, look, there's a lot of questions that have come in for you that um, we're going to ask you. But first, I think it was worth dipping into Moto Two and Moto Three uh, for a moment. Uh, and let's start yep. with Moto Two, and uh, that pff, tense final lap, wasn't it? I think is probably an understatement. But Dixon managing to get the job done, and it's been a bit of a turbulent time really since since his win earlier in the season. Then Silverstone happened, and that interview. Uh, and now, though, back on the top stop, top step of the podium. It's brilliant. It's the old adage of, you know, once you get that first, you know, once the gate opens, more comes. And, you know, Jake's had, uh, you know, mixed reviews recently, especially after the Silverstone and what happened there. And actually, one of the things that, you know, I know Jake fairly well. Um, he's a good friend of, my, of Neil Hodgson's. But what people don't realise is the pressure that Jake's under. It's not. You know, Silverstone in particular, I, I, it would be, I would love to, I mean, they, they are actually, they're making a really good film about Jake at the moment. The Fly on the Wall, No Holds Barred documentary, which is coming out at the end of the year, I think, that TNT is making. It's going to be amazing, right? But what people don't realise is that it's not Jake turning up at Silverstone. He's done his first win, great, and he's going to turn up at Silverstone and he's got a bit of pressure because his family and friends are there. That's rubbish. There is a lot of stuff going on in the background with Jake, yeah? There's a big push to get him into MotoGP. You know, your stock value, you are only as good as your last race. And what happened at Silverstone will have had an effect on what was going on there. I speak to Frank Carcedi quite often. He's a really nice guy. And, you know, very hard to get anything out of Frankie because it's, everything's ongoing at the moment and he can't allude to anything. But things, you know, it's not just a case of this big push to get him into MotoGP. He's then, if he doesn't get into MotoGP, he's also got to have a future for next year. He's got to get into a decent team. There's a lot of people involved and there are people involved at all different kinds of levels. And that's the thing that people don't see at home is it's not just about getting a, a result at Silverstone and doing well. There is a his entire, you know, his life for the next, for the rest of his life hinges on it at the moment. A good result at Silverstone could have meant X, Y, Z. A bad result might mean that he's, you know, he's in a different position. Well, it's like your neck, that Heath, was it? <laughs> Um, so, so, so that's the thing, you know, it's brilliant. Jake is, um, what, what, there's an old adage in the paddock that say the people who know, know, right. And I'm not one of them, but I, but I do know some of those people. Yeah. And they've all said that actually Jake's, they're very interested on a motor GP bike. They think the way that he rides is going to work really well on a, on a modern motor GP bike. So with, with all the things that are going on for him to, you know, what happened at Silverstone, he's managed to put it behind him. That's gone. Now he's had another win and not just a win, like a fantastic win under a huge amount of pressure from a guy who has never won. You know, you know, he rode a, the, the last two laps, Jake rode brilliantly. So, okay, it might not have kicked off for him at Silverstone, but what he lost at Silverstone, he's now got back. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few rounds to see where Jake lands. I know he's re-signed with Aspar. But that's not the end of the story for him because he will have or, you know, potentially he'll have a clause in his contract that says if he gets off the Mercury GP ride, he can go. That that stuff does exist. So Jake's future is very interesting. Mizano, you know, it's it's going to be interesting. And I have to say, couldn't deal with a nice guy in the paddock. He's, he's one of those guys, he's, you know, not sure what his mental age would be sometimes because he's just, you know, hilarious. Um, but it's fantastic to see. And I think... Um, Think that he's some of his detractors probably might realize that actually Jake has got something. I think that uh, he reminds me of Barry Sheen back in the day. Barry Sheen had a, a real empathy with what was going on with people that he dealt with and, and fans and obviously promoters and the like as well. You're right about the contract side of things. In most MotoGP, in most contracts in the lower classes, they've got clauses in there that get them out of it if they want to. We touched on this in the last uh, podcast as well. That um, we spoke with Frankie Carcetti as well about it. He obviously, like you quite rightly say, couldn't give much away. But the fact is, is you know that 
Dorna have backed Jake right from the beginning through Erta, through the International Race Teams Association. They funded him, they backed him, they 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 need somebody in the British market to be in MotoGP. Um, Silverstone can't survive on 45,000 people at trackside on race day. They need the 95,000, 100,000 people there at track days to, to on, on Grand Prix days to make that work. You know, Jake has got that wonderful feel about him. And, and as I've said before, he's got the, you know, Sarah, his wife, um, obviously she was, she was ill, seriously ill. Um, that's behind them now. Fortunately, made a full recovery. Got the child behind them now, if I might put it that way. Um, got all of those pressures behind them now. And he's now looking forward to still a great future, whereas a lot of riders have got that kind of stuff in front of them to deal with. So I think Jake's in a, in a, in a perfect position as, as a personality to be able to move it all forward. And I think that, that Dorna, you know, the Grassini ride is still there at the moment. And there's nobody in that Grassini slot just yet. So despite the fact he had to sign the job with Aspar, um, you know, it, it it's... It's still a great possibility that we will, and and you're so right. If Silverson had gone great, it would have been perfect, but the pressure there was almost unbearable. Um, the fact he's got it done this time around goes to show you what potential Jake has got moving forward. And I, and I have a real strong belief that he will be in MotoGP sooner rather than later. Aspar, <laughs> I don't think it was just Jake that was doing the press ups after after winning that one. I think Aspar must have been doing them as well, having won Moto Three and won the Moto Two races at. Uh, Catalonia. Um, it was a fantastic uh, result for the team, no doubt about it. I, I, Great team as well. Yeah, and, and the other person who I think is really going places is Sam Lowe's, who is, uh, you know, obviously had a win in Spain at the beginning of the year, and, and his results might not look like, you know, he's taking his ball, but Sam is riding brilliantly. He is also in the best place in his life. He's so looking forward to going to World Superbikes on a pro- with a proper team on a Ducati. I think actually Sam's story is could could be on the, on the start of a big peak up. He's riding fantastically, honestly. And when you see him around a paddock, he's so happy. The personal side of moving into that paddock um, with you know alongside his brother Al, you know the kids and the wives and all that sort of stuff. I tell you what, Sam's story is about to take a big step forward. I really think it is, and it couldn't happen. Double vision racing again. Well, I mean, that was one of the things I remember talking to his mum years ago. Um, I get on quite well with um, Donna and Stuart Lowe's. And um, I remember just being in a, in a restaurant with them years ago and asking them about when I first got to know them. And I was like, oh, well, you know, what about Sam and Alex riding together in a championship one day? And I'll tell you what, Donna did not like the idea of that <laughs> one day. It's going to happen. You could be sure. <laughs> we, we've always wanted it to happen. It's going to be amazing, right? The, 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 the downside is Alex, I think, is up against it with the Kawasaki. So he, maybe maybe... But next year, it's going to be hard for him. Maybe maybe a bit of time after that, the Kawasaki will improve. But Sam is going to go in on the Ducati, and he's at, you know, he's another rider that it might not look like it, but Sam is riding as good as he's ever ridden, and he's now as happy as he's ever been. So that's something that I am very much looking forward to for next year. And it's a massive thing, isn't it? Being happy in your sort of personal life and your personal experiences goes such a long way. It can go further than, than your on-track talent, can't it? So that's really good to hear. Um, let's let's just finish off Moto3 because I know Keith loves the Colombian national anthem these days. Well, it was, I mean, I have to say, it's the first time I heard it when Alonso won the other week. I mean, the first Colombian rider to win a Grand Prix. And then um, we get it again this weekend. But I mean, quality moto three race another i'm on a racetrack like catalonia you know turns one and two are tricky enough turn five is another notorious black spot if you like there as well for but uh, it, it was just a fantastic uh, moto three race and alonso again comes out on top perfect okay again to see aspar you know that that team really is on the crest of a wave at the moment one thing and another that yeah no go on charlie well no i, I just agree with all that i mean that championship is fantastic i thought the race at um, catalonia was a Classic, I really did. Um, Schaefer Holgado, um, obviously, I think you know, I really like um, Dennis Onchu. I've always really liked Dennis Onchu, you know, through knowing Keenan and Top Rack and those sort of guys. Um, and I think he was a little bit, I mean, obviously, it wasn't the greatest thing he's ever done at, at the end of the race, but um, I, I think that class is just fantastic. And when it changes to Pirelli next year, that will also make things. What? Quite interesting because it'll be a complete reset. Do you know what I mean? In your Munozes, in your Moreros, or you—I mean, I think Moreros moving up to Moto Two next year. But as these younger riders come in, 
you know, I think the Pirelli will be make it a little bit of an easier transition for them. There, there is so much young talent at the moment. There's almost too much because they're not all going to be able to come into MotoGP, are they? We've had this discussion throughout, and you mentioned Pedro Acosta earlier, touted as the next the next wonder kids. Uh, he's within that KTM family, obviously. We've discussed it before between Keith and myself and the guests we've had on, but how do you see it playing out next year, Charlie, with with the KTM seats? No clue. <laughs> Literally, no clue. I don't know how that's going to work. I, I really don't. I, I know that the the technicalities of why Dorna won't just give give them two more grid slots are it's a lot more of case than Dorna saying we want that for another factory. There's you know embargoes with other teams. As it's a comment. I spoke to Gavin Emmett about it um, a couple of weeks ago, and as always, Gav knows a lot more about it than I do. And it's not quite as straightforward as Dorna saying, here you go, have those two slots. It doesn't work like that. They, there's, they, there are other negotiations and other agreements with other teams. So I do not know how that's going to work. You would have to assume that someone's going to have to drop out. So pick your winner for that one. I think that Dorna are quite good at um, winning the day. If you remember when they, they wanted to go with the Magnati Morelli straightforward you know, spec electronics platform and inertial platforms. Yeah, it took ages, and Honda were the ones that resisted right to the very end before um, giving way on that. You know, in the interests of, of talent and the interests of having a full grid, you know, two more slots on there, somebody somewhere. It must be a fairly well-written contract that, that uh, somebody has with Dorna to stop Dorna from allowing a couple more slots or one more slot, whatever it might be. It's MSMA. Um, it's it's the, the the union, isn't it? I, I think they, you know, it's like all these things. You, you know, you, you've got to have a, a unanimous agreement, and that ain't going to happen just to help. You know, they're they're already Honda and Yamaha certainly are probably. You know, they look like they're going to be the ones getting concessions, <laughs> which is bizarre. So I can't. So I, I think it's a very very complicated political mechanism about those grid slots. Mm. And yet Ducati have eight bikes on the grid. Yeah. Um, I can't believe how quickly uh, (laughs) doesn't more need to be said. Um, I I think this hour has gone by so quickly, Charlie. It's been fascinating having you on. Um, But look, there's a few questions that I want to ask you that have come in uh, from uh, from the social media world. Will has asked, um, what's your best ever motorcycling memory? Best ever memory, best memory my my strongest memory is Hopper Hill at Brands Hatch, whatever year that was. Oh, that was, <laughs> that, was that was yeah, that's definitely my strongest memory. Um, yeah, probably one of my best memories. That was um, literally unforgettable. That the the feeling before that race and actually being there, what you don't see on the telly was, you know, the fact that half the track was wet. You know what it's like, um, Keith, when you get to Brands Hatch, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. You've got fifteen red flags, <laughs> and you're like, let's just pack it all up and go home everybody be safe and it was one of those sort of atmospheres where it's like oh where is this going to go and it was obviously that you know everybody knows that what happened at the end but that to me was definitely one of the high points where, where i was like oh my god i was glad i was there to watch that nice nice uh, on in similar vein steve uh who's charlie a fan of in motorcycle racing who gets you excited a fan of uh well present day i've always been quite keen on manu gonzalez who's flying in moto 2 at the okay. moment he's he through Super Sport. He came through Super Sport 300, actually. He was the youngest world champion. Um, he's a nice guy. I don't know him very well, but he's just someone that I like the way that he goes about his business. He came through Super Sport 300 very quietly. No no um, ego, nothing like that. Went through Super Sport um, 600, the World Super Sport, sorry. And um, just like the way he works. And he's carrying on his career. is going on a very nice 45-degree line, uh, as it always has. So I think um, I'm a fan of Manu's. I like to... Um, Dennis Onchu. Um, well, I found quite a few riders actually. I have to. <laughs> and and actually, this just in from Debbie. Now I can't remember if we covered this off or not. Um, on the Johnny Ray news, um, with Ray confirmed at Yamaha next year, who does Charlie think will replace him, and what is his opinion on Jonathan's move? But well, we've got a, got the opinion. Do we know who's replacing him yet? Well, the rumor has it that Axel Bassani was in. I mean, this is another thing that's this is another thing that it's it's a dynamic organism effectively because i think axel basani was probably lining himself up to get in the kawasaki i think in the last i think that might have changed now i think they might be kawasaki might be struggling to find someone to ride for him a bit like honda and actually who wants to go and ride a kawasaki at the moment 
Anyone? <laughs> Just let the tumbleweed. <laughs> it's a tricky one. I'm not, look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative about Kawasaki, but they're on the back foot, and you know we know they're on the back foot because Jonathan Ray has left, so that leaves him in a pretty sticky position, and he's left because we know that Kawasaki aren't bringing anything else to the party in in the near future, and that's a very telling sign. So if you're Axel Bassani, for example, I mean there, there are going to be riders. Who will, who will take that ride, of course. Alex Lowe's is in a really good position there, and actually he will scratch out some results next year. But if you're an, you know, a, a real, in, in that second tier, and you want to get into the first tier, then Kawasaki's probably not as desirable as it, as it was a, 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 you know, a short time ago. I wonder if um, they're also losing some of their top techs. I wonder if Perry Reber is going with Jonathan after all these years as well. I mean, if, it, if, if, you, if suddenly you split the team completely as well, away from that base of knowledge, that could be tricky. I, I, I don't know. Right? That's the first thing is I do not know. But if, from my experience is that Perry, you cut Perry in half, it says Kawasaki in, in the middle of him. Yeah, in the middle of his spinal cord, it will say Kawasaki. There's that. But also... Um, even though Jonathan has always said Kawasaki is, um, uh, sorry, not Kawasaki, Perry is one of the big reasons for his success. I also think that Yamaha, that that transition for bringing people from Kawasaki to Yamaha, Yamaha to Kawasaki, sometimes that's not what people want. Do you know what I mean? And actually, um, Perry is so Kawasaki. I would be. I'm not saying I do not know, but I would be surprised if he turned up in Yamaha personally. Okay. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for all the questions that uh, you sent in. So we couldn't get to all of them because just like that, over an hour has gone by. So, uh, I mean, Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time, first of all, and coming on to the show. We'll have to get you back. Will you come back later on in the year? Yeah, you hum it. <laughs> Excellent. I love getting the verbal confirmation live on air. It's always good. Um, look, Charlie Hescott, thank you so much. Uh, make sure you're tuned in, as always, through the OMG MotoGP socials for all the latest news and podcasts. Um, get your questions in, omgmotogp at gmail.com or just uh, tweet, or tweet us, X us or Instagram us, whatever it is. Uh, and we will be back. Keith and I will be here on Thursday uh, for your extra, your OMG extra, your little bit on the side preview because uh, we're straight into another race weekend. Misano straight up next, and there'll be a lot to talk about, I'm sure. We'll see if, uh, I'm sure we'll know by Thursday uh, what the Peko Banyai situation is uh, for this weekend. So if you've got anything you want uh, to know about Misano, ask that between now and then, and we'll get that answered. Uh, and as always, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And we shall see you uh, on Thursday for OMG Extra. But from myself, Harry Benjamin, from Charlie Hiscott, and from Keith Ewan, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.